Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all listeners and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on lessons or sermons for the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Daniel Freemeyer. Daniel's a fantastic Old Testament scholar and Bible scholar in general, preacher, pastor, friend of mine, and a uh, uh, relatively regular guest here on the show. And I'm happy to have Dan on back again with a real sort of sweet spot text uh, for him and his expertise, uh, because this week we are looking at Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, Exodus 12, 1 through 14, the uh, instructions for the Passover festival. So looking forward to enjoying that conversation uh, with y'all. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so that you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, just hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along to others so that they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Well, you want to jump in? Ready when you are. Let's do this. So we're looking at Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Of course, after an initial engagement with that, we can look at the broader context, but we'll start with the the jumping off point of Exodus 12, 1 through 14. Daniel, you interested in, you game to read it and I'll say a prayer or you want to flip it? Would you rather... I read it. It's your call. No, I can, I can read it. Go for it. Go for it. Exodus 12, 1 to 14. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of the two Egypts, saying, This month will be for you the first of the months. It will be for you the first month of the year. Speak to the con- all of the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, and each will take for themselves, each person, a caprovine. For the household of their ancestors, a caprovine for the household. And if the household is too small for a caprovine, that one shall take with his neighbor next to his house for the number of beings. A person for each mouth to feed, you will count for the caprovine. It will be a caprovine without blemish. A male, the son of a year, it will be for you. From the sheep and from the goats, you will take it. And it will be for you a guarding until the 14th day of this month. And then all the assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it between the evenings. And they will take from the blood and give it onto the two doorposts and onto the overhanging on the houses in which they will eat within them. And they will eat the flesh in that night. It will be fire roasted and along with unleavened bread on bitter herbs, they will eat it. You will not eat from it raw, 
and boiled from the boiling in water, but instead fire roasted its head on its legs and on its midsection. And do not let any of it, anything from it remain until the morning. And what remains until the morning, you will burn with fire. And thus you will eat it, your loins girded or pants belted, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. You will eat it in haste. It is a Pesach, a Passover to the Lord. And I will pass within the land of Egypt in that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from humans and unto cattle. And among all the gods of Egypt, I will make judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood will be for you a mark or a sign over the houses in which you are there. And when I am seeing the blood, then I will pass over you. And there will not be among you a plague or pandemic for destruction when I am striking in the land of Egypt. And this day will be for you for a memorial, and you will keep it as a pilgrimage festival for the Lord. Throughout your generations, it will be a practice for you forever, and you will circle with celebration. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that as we read and reflect on this text today, that Daniel and myself and all those listening in would have our eyes and ears open to what you have said and to what you are about to say. Father, there's much that we can discern with our own uh, human skill, and yet in the face of our limitation to discover the heart that you are revealing to us, the heart of these words, which in turn reveal your own heart, Lord, we ask that you would not only uh, make use of whatever human skill we bring to the text, but above and beyond, that you would lead us and guide us, O oh Lord, into places that we could not reach on our own. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for reading and thanks for translating. Can I ask you a couple quick Translation questions just to get started. Sure. Yeah. Did I hear you say in the land of the the two Egypts or between the Egypts or something in the opening I, line? I did. I slipped into a Hebraism. So okay, what in, is that? I don't know that phrase. In Hebrew, Egypt is dual. There are two. Oh, okay. Many scholars think because there was the northern uh oh. Or sorry, Upper Egypt in the upper south, love, Lower yeah. Egypt in the north, right? Okay. So there were actually two different Egypts that uh, kind of get unified. But I think it's really significant for this passage because you actually do have two Egypts. You have one Egypt that is celebrating a Pesach, and you have yeah. one that's not. So even in the text, literarily... It might have a double meaning. Yeah, and I okay. do it and then realized, oh, wait... <laughs> It was maybe a good slip, though, because... In English, it's just Egypt. 
but yeah, for its dual. But I think of like, uh, I mean, even in, even in modern English for like the United States, right. It's a plural, but gets, it's, it's referenced as a singular, right. uh, grammatically, but doesn't have to be. And it used to be less. So, um, these United States was a kind of way you'll see it a lot in the 19th century. Um, and it would be a plural verb. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you could see how, uh, a nation that had been relatively recently unified, could retain a kind of more consciousness of that distinction that doesn't register for us and even might not have registered for, you know, even within a few hundred years of reading this text, the, the, the plural might, uh, convention, right. And not maybe right. had the same feel. Although in this text, like you said, it had a, it has a nice possible <laughs> layered meaning. There's another, there was another doubling that was just really cool that I'm more familiar with, but I thought it might be fun to comment on the, 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 to kill the lambs between the evenings or between the two evenings oh, yeah. at the end of six. Yes. Uh, so there are two different evenings. There's an evening in the daylight and there's an evening in the dark. And so this one's actually between the two, the, what happens at sunset. So at sunset, so it, it kind of means sunset or around sunset. I mean, th- right. I assume there's a word for sunset if you were to be that precise or is there no word for that in hebrew um so in hebrew the it, there's a phrase okay. and you, you might be familiar with the term third heaven so yeah the, the third of the skies so there's one sky that is light there is a second sky that is dark and there's a third that is this mix that is got a, it on sunset sky okay oh okay i had no idea oh that's great okay yeah, because it's this kind of dome, like you know, the switching of the the two domes, <laughs> the 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 heaven or the sky. And okay, so, that's that's helpful. So then, the second evening is that referring to like a, a stretch of time, like the early post full sunset? Yes. Okay. The second evening, so it's in between the two. So I'd heard one time someone passed on that at one time rabbis said that when the, the Sabbath begins, when you can see three stars or something like that, there's debate about the exact precise beginning of the Sabbath. Exactly. Um, and would that correspond to that? That would be the first thing, right? You can start, you can start to see stars, but the sun's still up. That would be like first evening, right? Right. Got it. I'm still up and it, but it, the sun is setting and then you have the sunset itself. And then you have darkness and so when exactly does the Sabbath but not pitch begin? yet, not pitch black yet. Debate. Right. Right. And so there's a space in between. And that's what this phrase is talking about sometime in that interim time period. And that's when rabbis will fall from one end to the other as to when, okay. the, when the Sabbath happens, but everyone agrees it's between the evenings. <laughs> it's between the evenings is when it starts. And therefore it would be, in the third heaven, as it were, to use that, right? It would be in that. Okay. Or, oh, that's super helpful. I mean, that's just, I, I love it when you do your own site reading for us. Cause you just, you, you take, you make a few choices that help me notice things. So these are reactions to your translation. So I. Sorry for slipping into the Hebrew and not going with the modern English equivalent. Oh, please do not apologize. I mean, our, our listeners, I mean, our listeners are all over the map in terms of their you know, experience and engagement with the text, but they're all people who, who want to study the word. Do you know what I mean? So they don't, they don't, they don't need to hear, they, they want to hear the, the, 
the text made fresh by <laughs> which means making it making what's familiar unfamiliar uh to kind of grab you again yeah so well i have more but i'll pause on that for a moment and just ask you what what's what's grabbing you in this text what in terms of just ba- just entry level observations just what on the surface of the text is attracting your attention today of course you've spent years with with a passage like this i'm sure but uh but what's uh, what's grabbing you today so i think there are a few things that um jump out to me today uh the lord is speaking to moses and aaron um in a, in egypt right they are they are in egypt and reordering time for them because this was not typically the first month but it becomes the first month for them from this point on so this is an this is a time change and we already talked about the between the evenings which is another time change and they were to guard the lamb for 14 days until that time change so it is a reordering of all of time for the people of Israel and then it's a reordering of households as well so you get not only the reordering of time but the reordering of households where if you are a lamb or a goat meal would be too much for one family then neighbors share in that so that there's not too much to eat and i think that's really a redefining of who is in the household right who is the neighbor but maybe that neighbor is now a part of the household because of this experience and i think it rearranges the assembly of israel as they all do it together they put it on their doorpost this is a redefining of their threshold um from this point on they are no longer going to live in that house right this is the last time they will see that house so it is a new life it's an entrance into a new life that's why they're they're instructed to roast it and put on the belt like they're going out quickly they're not staying they're to be packed ready to go so it's a reordering of time it's a reordering of households and it's a reordering of the whole nation they are no longer just in their houses in Egypt they are now a part of the assembly who goes out to worship and uh i find that very interesting especially in regards to timing with pandemics and plagues it does reorder the whole assembly and it reorganizes who is a part of which family and who go how you go out and how you come in it reorganizes all of that and i think that even in this text we can see that yeah i know i can definitely attest that initially there was a kind of restriction to the to the family unit as it were um but then over time because you know you can't you know that's not enough right and so then there's a kind of rethinking and you know neighbors and and who it is you connect with these things become really important and those first kind of meals as restrictions loosened up were pretty crucial kind of identifiers of you know 
connection. No, that's, that's a good insight. We might come back to that. We'll see that that's, that's really good. That reordering of time that really grabbed me. I, I, you mentioned that, you know, obviously for these texts in their final form in the Torah with Genesis, where it is and all, you know, and the readers of course would have had their Sabbath practice in place, you know, when this gets to its final form, but you seem to like at least hint that maybe the kind of reckoning of the day for at least Israel's experience. Um, the reckoning of the day as beginning at night was, was a change of some kind. And at least as a contrast from Egyptian time, did, did Egyptians mark the day from sunup? I'm just, I don't know. I'm just asking a curiosity. Yeah. So the Egyptians as worshipers are- of the sun, God, I would imagine. Start with sunrise, right? But I don't know. <laughs> so there is evidence to indicate that they uh, marked time when the sun was at its fullest. Ah, which oh, that would make sense, actually. Yeah. So with, uh, I know we're not getting into the background, but with the uh, elevation of Amun Ra, uh, the sun this notion of when the sun is at its fullest, highest peak and brightest, that is the the time in which all life starts flourishing. So while there's debate about when, ex- how exactly they marked days, that was the key moment. Okay. So and this is clear contrast, especially with the eventual killing of the and right born, which happens at midnight, right? Right before this, there's been three days of darkness. I know we're not yeah. in the background, but... No, that's okay. That's okay. And so, marking it at night, God does a lot of work in Egypt at night. Yeah. Which is uh, striking, or w- would be striking for many of the Egyptians who joined the Assembly of Israel, and would have been striking for the people of Israel who grew up in Egypt and were Egyptians. This would have been striking. Yeah, no, a real contrast and a real kind of a showdown of the gods, you know? I mean, you can't <laughs> you can't get around those very intentional And that's even a passage on among all the gods, I will make yep. judgments. I yep. will issue judgments. I'm the Lord. So perhaps not marking time by the heat of the day or the highest point of the sun uh shows that you are accepting who the Lord is, that the Lord can work even in the darkest times. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild to have that opening line. If you think of this passage as, of course, you know, we have the circumcision, we have a number of other instructions and customs in place, but you know, if you think of this as the beginning of the legislation of, you know, Exodus, as it were, you know, it's interesting to have God's, you know, first command, is when you start your year, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Like, especially for kind of modern, the modern mind that sort of bifurcates and thinks of these as mere conventions and cultural norms versus like moral issues of like uh, the second half of the 10 commandments as it were. Right. And that kind of, a, that kind of thinking that modern readers bring in, it's almost hard to hear the moral formation that's here without paying attention to it and putting it in context the way you've done for us to just say, you know, here's my first law for you. Here's when your year starts. It starts in the spring, right? Uh, and here's when your day starts. It starts at sundown, right? Like it, like I'm organizing your time first and then reorganizing your household, your threshold, as you've put it. 
and it's it's that structure of your life and then inside of that is then going to be placed worship and practice and all the other legal material that gets unfolded over the rest of the the book and and the following book after and i think exodus shows how related each of those are they're interconnected right exactly and you said there is the tendency to bifurcate yes don't do that the texts unify them together worship time threshold household community it's all festivals all intertwined murder sex coveting all all it. it's all intertwined yeah there's no moral law ceremonial law uh civic law distinction these this is an invented distinction that christians came up with to try to decide which texts were relevant <laughs> and it's an understandable as a you could say it's it's maybe a relevant question at the application level but to but to think of it as an interpretive framework is just to do violence to the text because it's just not the way the text thinks you know right um, and it can lead to kind of this bifurcation of the text, dividing it up and saying mm-hmm. part, then this part, then this part, and they're not connected when in the text it flows naturally from one to the other. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and, and dig in some more and move widely if we like. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. My guest uh, this week is Daniel Freemeyer. Got a chance to have him back uh, on the show. And we're looking at Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. I uh, love having Dan on from time to time anyway. And this was just the one of the texts that was coming up. But I thought, you know, he's done a lot of work in festivals and i was like oh this is too perfect so i thought i'd <laughs> i don't always play a matchmaker with texts and guests but this time there was a little bit of that i thought i'd own that uh speaking of which two quick questions for you one was verse 14 this day shall be a memorial day and you shall keep it as a pilgrim feast i heard you say yes is that a that's an expression i'm not uh familiar with yeah so it's a. Uh... The Hebrew word is hag. It means to uh, to circle, to gather in a circle. And because of that, you have to go to a place where you can gather together. So you have to, there is movement, there is action and walking and gathering together. You're circling around. And for many uh, Jewish interpreters today, that denotes dancing and singing and celebrating because you do it in a circle. You don't do it on your own. You don't do it alone. It's in the whole community that you celebrate. And this, uh, later in Exodus, it will talk about this being, and in Numbers in Leviticus, this being a festival that requires you to be a part of the whole community. The whole community gathers at the Lord's house and this is one of the three festivals where that occurs. That's great. The others are, let's see, Pentecost. Yes, Pentecost. Okay. And then Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement in the fall? No. Oh, is that? The other one is uh, Tabernacles, Booth, right. Booth. Okay. Okay. The Harvest Festival. Got it. So, and Day of Atonement is, because that doesn't, that's in... That's in Leviticus. That's in Leviticus, right. And, and it's uh, 
It's a solemn day. I'm trying to think when it is in relation in the time of the year. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Um, um, yeah, so it was just recently celebrated. So it's okay. around the same time as uh, the New Year, often denoted the New Year, although this is supposed to be the New Year. This is supposed right. to be. So there's some- but in in that season of... Rosh Hashanah, and you have ten. You have Yom Kippur in ten days of celebrating together around that same time, where there's fasting and preparing for the new year. And is there a different verb than than Chog used there? Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, that's so, what I was curious about. Is is if this is a kind of? It's more it, of a, a solemn assembly. Got it is the word that's used there and ada it's a gathering together but not for celebrating it's solid it. right it's not right in terms of a lot of translations I just say or festival both of which give a kind of positive joyful and this is supposed yeah. to be joyful. yeah it's liberation day yeah right. i mean it's scary but it's liberation day and liberations often is pretty scary both because of the violence that's involved and the 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 opening up of something new and unknown so scary for scary for the oppressor and, and a little scary for the oppressed too. And then in this instance, it's the Lord who's striking. It's not a, a violent action on behalf of, or by the oppressed, but it is the Lord who's acting on their behalf. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not strictly speaking to get conceptual. It's not strictly speaking violence because it's not a violation. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a that's kind of a cop out when people say, "What about all the violence in the Bible?" You know. But I mean, in a certain kind of like, you know, just philosophically speaking, like, <laughs> if God is the one who gives and takes life, it's kind of not a violation, right? That's 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 not the, that's the beginning and not the end of a conversation. But it's still that's helpful. Thank you for for commenting on that. Pilgrim feast kind of nice, and of course they're they they're not only gathering with each other; they're going to head out of town. Right, And so there's that, the movement is part of, which is why then later, of course, it gets connected with then going up to Jerusalem as a kind of pilgrimage. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. They'll move to that location where all the community gathers together. Right. Perfect. Okay. That, that's very, very helpful. Can, can you, can you tell me a little bit about, I'm sorry, I'm just asking you questions if that's great, but verse 11, this word Passover Right, for shock, Pashka, as I know it in Greek, you know, like what's what's with this word? Like, what is it? What's its meaning? How is it connected to these other words, uh, the passing verb and stuff like that? I just love to hear you comment on it uh, yeah. as a term. Yeah. So this is the first time that this term gets associated with, um, at least in the biblical texts, canonically. This is the first time it gets connected with the festival of unleavened bread, because this the the etymology of the word is to literally like step over something. So you can step onto something and crush it when you step on it, or you can step over it to preserve it. And the Lord is literally saying, "I'm going to move over it and not strike or crush the house that has the blood on it." So it is a passing over, a moving be past or beyond, um, so that nothing is nothing 
harmful happens to it. Well, that's great. Is is the, what's the Hebrew word for? If it's okay, if you don't have it at the tip of your tongue, but the word to step on rather than to step over, to strike. Is, is it, yeah, is it like a related word? Does it have a similar so, sound or something? I'm just. It's actually used here. Yes. I will pass through the land of Egypt in verse 12. It's actually in 13. And then so, there will not be for you among you, a plague or pandemic for destruction or like stepping on, stomping on crushing. Okay. So it does have that, those features within it. Wow. Cool. I'm just looking at it. Cause it's cool. I see the blood. I will pass over you. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, pass over you. Holocaust. You can actually see the spatial play of words. Yeah, Gene. That's why I was camping with it because it's it's really cool. So the Lord is not stepping on, but stepping over and sparing any who are ready to run out. Right. That's the interesting thing. Those who are stepped over are the ones who are going to step over that threshold and not come back. They're going to leave in haste. Right. Oh, man. So this is just, uh, this is an everyday verb then. This would appear in other contexts without necessarily having this connotation. Right. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. But I'm sure, I mean, just knowing the rabbis, right? I mean, every time the word appears... Right. There would have these kind of, you know, uh, paschal resonances would, would come up at a kind of playful exegetical level. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You can do a lot of midrash with. Those, yeah. 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 <laughs> especially in the prophets, but it's a helpful one. Because yeah. The prophets will use this, the verb form of Pesach to kind of clue the reader into the season in which the uh, prophet is issuing the prophecies. So this is, this is a favorite word of Amos. Amos will use this quite a bit when talking uh, about the, the festivals of Israel, Northern kingdom of Israel. But actually in that one, the Lord says, I will not pace. I won't step over you. I'm going to step on you. I'm going to step on you. Right. Right. Oh, wow. And am I remembering correctly that these, these uh, festival, motifs are in the prophets was your kind of dissertation, right? And your first book, and yeah. right? Okay. That's yeah. I did a lot of work on that, how the prophets use the festivals and the motifs of the festivals to, to reimagine society. Okay. So like a word like Peshach, which would have been an everyday verb prior to its usage in Exodus 12 gets sort of, commandeered for this very, it becomes almost this proper noun, as it were, this, this right. event. And then it kind of gets turned back into a verb by the prophets in a way to kind of play on. Exactly. Okay. Oh, that's so, that's so cool, man. <laughs> Thanks for walking, walking me through that. If that was only interesting for me, I, I hope it was still <laughs> worth our time, but I imagine our, our, our audience would appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's one of these words we just say all the time, Passover, 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 like nonchalantly and, Right. Without and may have picked on the use of the verb, but there, it's so much more layered, especially the passing over versus, you know, stepping over versus that's stepping on. on. That's really, yeah. that's really, really good. That's very helpful to me. So you mentioned there were two questions. Oh, that was it. It was the pilgrim feast 
Okay. And, and the Passover. That was that was yeah. all that was the only agenda I had for the middle section here. You got anything else? Any else anything else you want to bring up? You already mentioned a few broader well, contextual things about Egypt and about about uh the three days of darkness. Anything else you think just needs to be on the plate before we move into some sermon uh starting sermon suggestion ideas? I think situating it in the broader context of Exodus is important, especially for this passage. When you're looking at uh, the Lord saying this to Moses, it's helpful, and to Aaron, it's helpful to remember that the Lord gave Moses the instruction, speak to the Pharaoh and say, let my firstborn, who is Israel, go and worship at the festival. So when Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh, it is to get the release of the people to go celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh refuses multiple times, but also concedes multiple times and says, yes, I will let your people go celebrate a festival to the Lord. But not all the people, just the men. And they say, no, the women and children have to come too. Well, okay, but not the cattle, not the flocks. You can't take any meals or sacrifices with you. Well, then we can't do it, right? So Pharaoh repeatedly keeps them from celebrating this festival of unleavened bread to the Lord. And so the Lord actually enables the people to celebrate it in Egypt and it bring about their deliverance. When it was the very point that the Pharaoh said, no, I will not let them celebrate. As if to say, okay, well then they're going to do it here. It'd be your, your undoing. Right. And wow. when the Lord delivers it to Moses, the Lord says, tell Pharaoh, let my firstborn go, or it will be the death of his firstborn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That 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 framework is introduced early yeah, on. Very early. And right after this, the reason I think this is important is because right after it, the Lord meets Moses' firstborn to kill Moses' firstborn, because Moses has refused to release his firstborn to worship. And Zipporah actually is the heroine of that story who says, Moses, release Gershom to the Lord. So Moses himself is someone who is already had an experience of refusing to release his firstborn. And here is Pharaoh refusing to release the Lord's firstborn. And so the Lord says, I have no choice. I have to take your firstborn. And in so doing, is the judgment upon the final deity of Egypt as each of the sets of plagues, as they're commonly called, target a different set of deities in Egypt. This one targets the last set of deities, which is Pharaoh's household. Oh, shoot, you clipped out just what on the, what was the last set of deities? <laughs> Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh's household. It was great. It created like a little, uh, little anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. Pharaoh's Wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> Legend dairy. <laughs> I, re- I faintly remember that uh, at one of the points when he says you can't take your animals and then he says, okay, well you can take just what you, you can just take one each or something like some kind of compromise. Right. And there's a line, I can't remember exactly where it is, where, where Moses says, but we don't know exactly what the Lord is asking us to sacrifice. So we need to bring all of it 
just in case. We don't know is well, it going to be two? Is it going to be six? It's an interesting line that I'm trying to remember where it appears. If I'm thinking of the same one, uh, the rabbis talk about how Moses wasn't sure exactly how many were going to come out and celebrate. Oh, okay. So you don't know how much food you need. Sure, (laughs) sure. For community to celebrate meals with the Lord, you're not sure how much you're going to need if you don't know how many people are coming. And so to limit it would actually cause people to starve, which Pharaoh is fine with. Most. Right, right. Oh, that's that's helpful. That uh, that actually makes perfect sense because it links up with what you were saying about the reorganization of household, where it's it's the the we we sort of can easily fall into this. I think because of Jewish history, because of familiarity with the text and Israel as this clear unit later on that they become in the wilderness, as well as the way that slavery was uh, racialized in American history. Right. To kind of think it's like obvious who the Hebrews are and who the quote Egyptians are. But like you said, Hebrews are Egyptians. They're, they're part of this community. Right. Um, Even the, Moses, Moses is a, is a Egyptian. Very much so. Name. Yeah. Aaron's a Hebrew name. So even with oh, yeah. family, you have one who is Egyptian who looks and walks and talks like Egyptian and another who does not. And you have it even within the own same family. And that's very, very typical of each of the families that are going to accept the invitation and walk out. They are mixed Egyptian, Hebrew, and then also Midianite right. community. So There's it's these explicit references to this multiracial group. Israel's being out. created as a covenant people, not as a... Uh, it can't be reduced to an ethnicity or a sort of racialized existence. It's this covenant people right. constituted by this event um, and the election and ultimately by the election of God, um, grace of God. That's uh, it's funny. Cause I, I mean, the practicality of that is so obvious to me when you say it, the, the, the sort of literary sh- foreshadowing I sensed in that moment when Moses says that, that he, we don't know how many we need. Is it, it seemed to have some, a little bit of foreshadowing or a re- reminding us, especially for, you know, ancient readers of this text who would have known a lot about festivals and practices, you know, to kind of like remind it, like, guess what? Moses didn't even like know how to do the festival. Cause like it hadn't happened yet. Right. Like it's, it has an origin story vibe to it, you know, like yes. he knew how to do the unleavened bread festival. That's one that had been celebrated already. This is a different type of festival where it is a, as you mentioned earlier, a liberation festival. So, this yeah. Is um, and so there is that uncertainty and they had always celebrated it in, in a certain way. And to go out of Egypt and celebrate it meant that the dynamics would have been a lot different. So there's reference here. I, I, this is new to me that, that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a sort of pre-existing feast that's being sort of transformed in this moment? Yeah, so there are various scholars who uh, talk about the agricultural origins of each of the festivals, right? And okay. how the growing of barley would have been, um, there wouldn't have been, when you first get it, there wouldn't have been time for it to rise yet. So... There's this festival of saying to the Lord, thank you for bringing 
the, this produce out of the ground and enabling us to eat it right away. Well, now the Lord is enabling them not only yeah. to eat it right away, but to leave right away. Right. So it has a little bit, and I know that first fruits is a different festival, but it has a little bit of the logic of first fruits to it, right? It's like right. a little bit of the early stage. Okay. And it, there would have been a, a blessing of the Lord who brings forth bread from the earth. So, it's, so this is why this opening line in verse two is even more important than I realized up to this point, because it's, it's less that God's saying, Hey, I've got this crazy new festival you've never heard of. It's saying, this is a festival that you already do around this time. I'm now declaring this to be the beginning of the year. Yes. And we're going to, and they're going to add a new twist. Cause I take it that the lamb aspect was maybe not as central to the, or maybe it was, I don't know. So eating meat with unleavened bread wouldn't have been uncommon, right? Right. But the but eating of all of it and at the very time. And, yeah. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. You, yeah. you save, you save portions and to eat. And spread a, it out. Have small, a festival. Right. Yeah. A, a lamb of a year, less than a year old like that. That's not, no, a whole it's, the, it's not a fattened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the Lord's saying is trust me to deliver you quickly. And remember how quickly yeah. deliver you. You're not going to have time to eat it all. If you kill a big one. And if you are a small household and you can't eat that much meat, get a neighbor because you're not going to be able to eat it all. And this shows that you trust me. You've got your belt, you've got your staff in your hand, you've got your shoes on, you're ready to go. Oh man, that's great. Well, I think that's set us up great. Uh, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And I'm here with uh, Daniel Freemeyer. And now it's time to explore some sermon starters. Obviously, there'd be more um, uh, exegeting and reflecting to do, but uh, we'd like to at least pitch some ideas because uh, those can then double back to, to follow up and look, look more things up and explore where you might go with this. And so yeah, how would you uh, how would you advise uh, someone who was preaching this text, or how would you next time you have an opportunity to preach on on uh, about the Passover story? Uh, what might be your kind of point of entry or your theme, or you know, h- however you want to frame it? I don't know. Everyone has a different process. So <laughs> framing it, uh, you could talk about framing, right? Because you could talk about. Even in this, you have an image of the frame of the household. Uh, As you walk into a house or through a door, you have the frame of the door. And what is it that you see when you walk into a door? And the people of Israel were given a new outlook. This is not the place where I dwell any longer. This isn't the place where I live. God is leading me to something new. And so what door... You could use that imagery, um, is God giving you, or like the blood, what new life is God setting before you that God wants you to enter? And do you trust God in those moments to take that step and to get prepared and ready to go where the Lord is leading you? I think that's a important imagery that you could draw out and could lead to a call for trust in the Lord, even if it's dark 
even if things are not going how you thought, you wanted to celebrate and you can't, like the people of Israel, you wanted to start something new and they won't let you, something won't let you. How might the Lord lead you to trust that the Lord's going to take care of you when you step out? Oh, yeah, that's so good. And, and paying that out, the, it's the darkness, the displacement, the darkness that came before, and just that, that trust theme over and over again. Yeah, the door frame. Yeah. I mean, just even picturing, I mean, I can just see a sermon even that really, you know, I mean, you could preach on this text five times a year. You know, it has the same, it, I mean, in principle, you could do any of them, but I mean, it, it has the kind of, uh, like some of the Christmas and Easter passages where it's like, it's so pregnant with imagery that is so pervasive throughout the scriptures and Christian tradition that you can just really grab one of its symbols and play with it like the door. I mean, I, I'm, I'm even visualizing in my mind in a sermon that, that would have or teaching of any kind that would, you know, just pictures of different doors, you know, yeah. that and door frames all over the world, you know, to just suggest, and then to introduce that as a theme. And, and it's just dawning on me now in a new way, how, as you were saying that this is about leaving through that door and out and how, the placing of blood on the door post would have a kind of, it doesn't seem what's that. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a thing you'd want to do to your door that if you're going to stay there. Right. Right. Um, It's not paint. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're not, this isn't a, this isn't for decoration. This isn't for a pleasant smell. It's not going to smell pleasant. Yeah, it's to leave it behind. Yeah. But you can also go a different direction with that. You were mentioning the doors of of different places. So when they were putting this unpleasant uh, substance on their doors, they could also see whether their neighbors were or not, right? Yeah. For a small household, you're instructed to go talk to your neighbor and invite them And so there is a sense of accountability. Like if your neighbor's not doing this, ask them why, why are you not trusting the Lord for this deliverance? Um, Why wouldn't you join me for a meal and get the person thinking about their relationship with the Lord and whether they trust the Lord and whether they're willing to be a part of this new assembly. Yeah. And it's funny you you say that because I think I always, as a child, just sort of like, unreflectively took for granted that there were these people called Egyptians and these people called Hebrews and all the Hebrews did this and none of the Egyptians did. But the thought of the Egyptian neighbors being incorporated in and then a whole lot of people who were ethnically Hebrews, as it were, who didn't participate and lost their firstborn that night. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really narrate this my be- recollection. What's that? becomes the defining moment of choice, right? Yeah. Of whether you are going to be included in this people who leave or not. And from various scholars have talked about how after this point, there are a number of Egyptian names that show yeah. up. So indicating they did. a lot Which of them means we should believe the opposite probably happened as well. A number of... Right. Hebrews. 
That's why even the name Hebrew versus Israelite is even helpful because Israel is house of Israel. That's the congregation, the assembly who comes out. But think about that's not identical to Hebrew as a a Hebrew speaking ethnicity or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's not even tied to the language necessarily at this point. Um, So uh, early linguists have talked, have mentioned how the early Hebrew writings on caves that have been discovered bear a striking resemblance to Egyptian. So it's not even linguistic necessarily at this point, but rather it is uh, the meaning of the Habiru or the Hebrew is someone who is an outcast, someone who is a, I see someone who doesn't belong and this group who doesn't belong is leaving. Right. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's those who do not belong. Um, so who, who in, are called to then include, yeah, you know, in your community, if we claim to be Christians, we don't belong. We are followers of Christ and who else doesn't Our belong? citizenship is elsewhere as Philippians puts it right. Right. And so who, who are the other outcasts among us to whom we can reach out and say, be a part of my worshiping community. As well, I, gotta, I you to be a part of your worshiping community. Yeah. Forming a new community together. Yeah. The, the, the times in which we're talking about this, I mean, I've had quite a few friends who shared some stories and I've had some conversations that head in this direction as well. I'll keep it anonymous for now. It's, it's still brewing, but you know, I've got some neighbors and again, I have some friends who've shared similar stories who boy, inviting them to their church building on a Sunday morning is, is a pretty big ask, but inviting uh, for a meal on the Lord's day mm. and to watch service with us or to do whatever thing we're doing at home, you know, right. There is that's, that's not, that's not as big of a jump. It's actually a pretty natural kind of neighborly thing to do. And that may not, I mean, I don't know if that could be woven into a sermon very well or not, but it, but it could possibly be. Um, Cause I know for, for pastors, it's really hard to fall into uh, inclusion as being a kind of church building centric activity, like, Hey, right. get, get, us. yeah, get other people in this building. Right. And, and that's understandable. But with this passage, it is, yep. we are stepping out together to yeah. be new together. It's not you join me or, or I join you. I join you. Out. We step out together and we circle up. Yeah. And the yeah, Lord a, do a new thing. It's a lot more like going on a, like a protest march, you know, when you're going out somewhere totally new with people, you know, new people and different people. And it's very uncomfortable and it is uncomfortable, but what you find in the, uh, in this Pesach is that the people are actually going to circle around the Lord and Mm. gather together, circling around the Lord saying the Lord is in our midst, in the middle of us. Right. And we all circled together worshiping in a new community around the Lord. And that's something that you can do regardless of tradition or ethnicity or even language in this case. Circle feast. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many imagery, right? There's, there's the, 
There's the door. Which is oh. square or rectangle. Right. Or and, round, then the round. S- and then the circle, right? Right. Um, and then and- you have staff, which is more of a linear dimension. So you can play with shapes even for kids. Yeah. You have liquid and you have solids. Of course, the aroma of the meal. Absolutely. You can, uh, you can do as well. And the elevation of the Lord, who in this moment displays the judgment on the other deities who could not do this for someone who is oppressed. And the Lord can. Yeah. Yeah, no, man, it's just so, it's so good. I'm having this, I'm having this memory of a sermon by our, uh, a, co- a teacher we have in common, Steve Lennox. Yes. Um, he preached a sermon around for New Year's called Happy Four- Happy 14th of Nissan was the title, I remember, because yeah. it was like, you know, like, we're like, what's that? The calendar um, as an image. Yeah. So he, he, he actually preached on Passover, about the Passover at New Year's. And at, if anything, like, part of me wants to just say, whatever our listeners want to do with a text like this and their teaching and preaching and personal study, if anything, to take the challenge to preach on Passover sometime other than on Easter, right? Just to let it stand on its own. I I mean, I'm all for Easter vigil, making those connections, the unity of the scriptures, you know, but to have a standalone sermon. And and New Year's is a great time to do that. Summer's a great time to do that. There's a lot of great times to do it. Um, It's hard to pull off during Easter itself. Do you know what I mean? You're probably going to want to talk about Jesus, but you you can preach. No, you don't have to do a Paschal lamb. Celebrated Passover, exactly. And Paul says, therefore, let us keep Keep this feast. That's right, Passover, because but with without the leaven, trusting God. So. You, any time of transition, you can talk about this. As often as you do it, do it right. in remembrance of the Lord who sets us free. But I, I'm I'm very attracted to the uh, hey take take the take the challenge and and preach this text without a single reference to the New Testament. <laughs> Not every time, just like once. Like, can you actually do it once? You know what I mean? Because it's there's more than enough here. You don't have to like oh, make those connections for it to to click with people. Um, I feel like the trust theme is really powerful and you see it one by one, the door, I mean, to basically ruin your house with this blood on the door, right. Uh, to, to disrupt your household through the, the, the inclusion and the, the young lamb, right. Eating all of it, unleavened bread. I mean, you could almost list all the things and those aren't, instead of those being points of the sermon, it's just the narrative of it unfolding and just keep hammering for for your people the the trust challenge that's being introduced by god's guidance and instruction here yeah um and the invitation to trust as we enter into this circle and into this pilgrimage and cross cross that threshold one last time and the refrain of i am the lord i'm doing something new for you yeah i mean that that can be a refrain that echoes throughout any any teaching on this passage. I am the Lord. I am doing something new. That's good, man. That's good. Well, uh, you, uh, anything else you want to add before we, uh, you, you had a, you said you had a, 
yeah, a so, prayer that for us. Is there something you want to say before that? I didn't want to cut you so off too soon, but as you're thinking about something new, uh, the Lord often moves us through different seasons of life and invites us to trust in the new thing that the Lord is doing. And there is a there is a Hebrew blessing that is typically um, proclaimed at this season or in connection with Passover. And it is a thanking God for reaching this moment when God is going to do something new for our worshiping communities and our households and our neighbors and our nation, God is going to do something new. And for that, to mark that season, you uh, would say a blessing to the Lord. And I'd like to offer that in Hebrew for our listeners. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehekianu Vekimanu Higayanu Lazman Hazeh Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Ages, who enlivens us, sustains us, and enables us to reach this season of time. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. Thanks so much for uh, spending an hour with me and with this text on behalf of our May listeners. New life, a new hour, a new season. May it be so. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks to Eric and Todd for all their production work. I can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Todd Adamson for donating the uh, theme music. And thanks, uh, as always, to all you, our listeners, uh, for tuning in. Uh, when you get the chance, uh, hopefully every week, if you get the chance and uh, be sure to pass this along to others when you think of it. And, uh, we, that we say, uh, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>